Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. With me this morning is Amanda Bacon. She's an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Utah. And today we are talking about air quality. We've seen all the smoke from the wildfires in Canada, but how do they actually affect us? So Amanda, I'm glad you're with us today just to kind of give us an idea of how does that affect us? Well, uh, air quality and um, different levels of air quality affect us in many different ways. Um, it, uh, From a health perspective, if that's what we're talking specifically about today. Um, so the work research on the effects of air quality on health have really traditionally focused on our on physical health outcomes, such as cardiovascular disease, overall mortality, uh, and uh, respiratory disease. And um, that work now is a few decades old uh, that we have had accumulating uh, understanding of the poor effects of uh, air quality. So we know that those relationships, there is a causal relationship between poor air quality and cardiovascular disease, respiratory disease, ulcerous mortality. Uh, those are some examples. And it's only been sort of since more recently have we started to, to shift our, our paradigm a little bit to consider other health outcomes and specifically mental health outcomes. Uh, and so the research is just starting to grow in that area, and we are finding um, that uh, uh, poor air quality can have a really wide range of effects, um, including um, uh, affecting our mental health. I thought it was interesting. We flew through New York on our way back home from Europe, and boy, the air quality there was terrible. And I can tell you, it, it does impact my mood just to see that kind of gloomy, oppressive kind of condition. Yes, yes, certainly. Um, and uh, I know that's something that we experience here in Utah as well. So we, we sometimes do distinguish between sort of mood effects um, and uh, mental health. Um, they're measured in, in different ways, but that is certainly something when, you know, here in, in Utah, we have, I think many of us are very familiar with our wintertime air inversion events where we get cold air trapped in our valley floors and that traps uh poor air quality as well and air pollutants. And it can be right, very gray, very dark for quite a while. And, and I think many of us uh, see how that affects our mood during that time. Um, but uh, that mood piece, right, we can observe that ourselves. But the mental health piece where we're actually measuring uh, maybe symptoms of de- related to depression or anxiety or, or diagnoses of those phenomenon, um, 
that uh, that that is is just a, a little bit different from a sort of measurement perspective and a tracking perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm a little bit curious about. Um, the causal effect, I mean, between Mm. what we experience physically and how that does impact us on a mental health kind of level. Yeah, so for the science behind air pollution and physical health outcomes, uh, you know, all of this research in human populations has been based on observational studies, meaning we collect data that exists already or data that we can acquire from observing what is happening. Uh, You know, in in research, uh, the gold standard is to do conduct a randomized clinical trial. However, there's lots of areas of research where we cannot do those kinds of studies because they're unethical. Uh, And looking at the health effects of air pollution uh, is one area where we just we, we don't do a clinical trial. So we can't expose some people to poor air quality and others to do better air quality and really track long-term the health effects. So uh, a lot of uh, the work has had to rely on looking at how diagnoses change with different levels of air pollution. So that research, as I mentioned earlier, has been going on for, for many, many years looking at cardiovascular disease, mortality, and uh, respiratory disease. And it's only because of, of the mounting and consistent findings from these observational studies that demonstrate a causal effect. Uh, in the realm, in the area of mental health, uh, that research is newer. It's only been more recently, so we just don't have as many studies. And it, so we don't have the volume of work to indicate that there's a causal relationship between air pollution and mental health. But there are observational studies that exist, uh, and a number of them do point to uh, air pollution and uh, increasing risk of depressive symptoms or an increasing risk of uh, suicide mortality. Um, and those, so those are two examples of mental health outcomes that have been related to air pollution. So given that, is there anything or are there some things that we can do to maybe counteract those negative impacts from the air quality? Uh, yes, certainly. So one thing is to first stay aware of what air quality is looking like in your community. And there's a number of ways to do that. On your phone, you have your weather app, and it can get very specific in terms of your location. And the weather app, at least I know on an iPhone, uh, provides not only the weather, but the air quality index. And the air quality index is a fairly straightforward way to track what your local air quality is. Now, it is going to be more exact and specific in particular locations where air monitors exist. So in other areas, more rural areas perhaps, uh, it uh, won't be maybe as specific, but it's still a good indicator of what the air quality might be. So that's a good place to start. And it's straightforward in the sense that it it provides you with a measure that says air quality is good, air quality is moderate, air quality is is poor, uh, and um, air quality is hazardous, so forth. And so, therefore, that's, that's a good place to start. And it'll even let you know... If you have you know, moderate air quality, well, that there may be health impacts to certain populations. So I think that's the next piece is trying to understand that sensitivity to poor air quality does differ across individuals. We are not necessarily all as susceptible to poor air quality. 
Um, but there are certain uh, characteristics that make some people more susceptible than others. Young people, so our, our youth and adolescents, are particularly sensitive to poor air quality and our older populations as well. Uh, so those are two groups that should be especially aware of what's happening um, in terms of air pollution. And then individuals who have certain underlying health conditions. Asthma is a good example. Um, uh, if you have some heart conditions, that's another good example. So those are good ways to, to start to be aware. And if, and if those, if you are a vul- belong to a vulnerable, more vulnerable population, then you may want to vary uh, your activity in in when you're outdoors uh, and reduce your exposure to poor air quality. Um, another thing you can do, and everyone can do, because I think most of us. No, it's you know understand that we we want to limit our exposure to air pollution is to wear a decent face mask in situations where our air quality is bad, such as a KN95 mask that will provide us with some protection against certain air pollutants such as fine particulate matter. Um, other face masks such as surgical masks will not do that. They will not filter um, out poor air quality. So obviously awareness is a key piece. And then you said varying your activity outdoors. Maybe you could go into that just a little bit more. Are you just talking about not doing any activities outdoors or, or kind of what are your suggestions? You know, I think the general recommendation is to see how one is feeling. That's one way to do it, To If you know, I like for myself, I like to spend time outdoors. I like to get my exercise outdoors. So I'm Poor air quality days, it can be hard for me to limit my activity. Uh, so some recommendation is to take it easy, take it slower, um, because the, the harder one is working outside, the faster your heart rate is, um, uh, the more you're breathing, the more poor air quality you're going to uh, inhale and that your body is going to have to deal with. So because we all deal with it differently, uh that is one way uh, is to see, to go slow, see how you're feeling and, and make those choices um, in response to how you're physically responding to the poor air quality. Uh, for those that are more vulnerable to air quality, it may be, may be making the decision to limit your activity outside. Uh, for our, our young people, they tend to be more active in general. Uh, they tend to breathe faster and consume larger volumes of air than older people. And so from the beginning, a parent may want to limit a child's exposure to, to air pollution. Uh, and then the mask piece, I mentioned the KN95, but there are certainly more uh, sophisticated systems out there that really do filter very well the poor air quality. But um, those will be, they, they do cost some money, uh, and they take some adjustment to wear, uh, but those are another option to consider. Right. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. I am wondering about uh, the mask piece because uh, obviously those people who are more vulnerable are wearing masks. I mean, I see it on airplanes. 
but very few people are wearing masks. And I'm wondering if COVID actually helped us in this way or is actually uh, been a distraction. I, I don't know. It seems like so many people were just so averse to masks that most people now have gone back to not wearing a mask even when they're sick and are, you know, affecting other people. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I wonder, I mean, there's definitely places in the world where mask wearing uh, for a long time has been uh, fairly accepted uh, with the idea that individuals wore masks when they themselves were sick to prevent the spreading uh, of infection to uh, to their neighbors and others in the community. Uh, that hasn't quite uh, been picked up here in, in this country so much. Uh, I, I don't know if that might change. I, I think with the pandemic not too far behind us, you know, there may be a little bit of a response to that with the be having worn masks for so long, but maybe, you know, things will change in the other direction as well, especially with the knowledge, I think the increasing knowledge that uh, a good quality mask can also protect you from poor air quality. So there's many, many potential reasons to wear one to protect your health as well as as your uh, neighbors and, and your uh, fellow community members' health. So um, I think also that wasn't well understood before the pandemic uh, that a mask like a KN95 could protect you against poor air quality. Uh, I don't recall that much of that discussion here in Utah during uh, during high air pollution events that one could wear a mask like that. So I think that knowledge is spreading a little bit and maybe that will help support the mask wearing during certain times as well. Yeah, I'm grateful that we're increasing the awareness. But I guess these things take time, just like it took time for people to really realize, you know, cigarettes kill people, right? It, it didn't just overnight people stop smoking. It It's taken many years to, you know, reach a level where, what, what 10 or 11% of Americans now smoke. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it's also like a lack of clarity in terms of when in, people are wearing masks, uh, not uh, not always understanding why a mask is being worn. Um, and so I think if there's, we see more mask wearing during poor air quality days, then, you know, I think, yeah, the acceptance will, will potentially grow. So any other things that we can do possibly to help us out during bad air days? You know, I would say that, to, you know, bad air days, uh, that we've, we haven't spoken much about the specific pollutants that play a role here. And they can be very different. Uh, we tend to focus on what we call the particulates in the air, and these are because that's a real mixture. Uh, and they particulates include uh, just the size of the particles that are in the air. That's what varies in these different combinations, and their sources also vary. So um, one one thing to be aware of is where the air pollutants are coming from, because then we can, as individuals, make choices that can help influence uh, the air pollution that we're experiencing. So like in Salt Lake County, during our wintertime air inversions, uh, about 50% of the poor air quality originates from our vehicle emissions. So we can potentially make choices during these periods of time when it looks like we're going to have an air inversion to try to maybe drive less. And, and that can help to keep the, uh, the air, air pollution event from being as, as bad as it could potentially be. 
So, so there are individual choices that we can make um, to, to sort of limit the effects of, air, of poor air quality. Um, and uh, so I think that's, uh, you know, one step that can be taken. Um, uh, and on those types of days, you know, there's opportunities to use public transportation. I think now since the pandemic, more and more people, when it's possible, are able to work from home, so not commuting on days when there's poor air quality. Uh, if people have that option, that's always a great option to take. And then to recognize, you know, in the summer, we it's uh, becoming more and more frequent to experience summertime poor air quality, and that originates from a different source, and that's usually from wildfire, which, as you mentioned, when you're in New York, you experience the poor air quality here, and that was from wildfires burning in Canada. And so uh, that, um, that's a different source than what's happening in the wintertime. Um, and uh, in the winter, while you can also take steps to get out of the poor air quality by maybe moving higher up elevation-wise, that's harder to do in the summertime uh, because it's different meteorological phenomenon that are impacting the, the air quality. When it comes to physical risk, is smoke in the air less harmful than what we're seeing from the car emissions? I would not. I, I, you know, I actually don't think the research is there to suggest one way or the other. Uh, we both we know that really, like the air quality index is an overall measure of air quality. It doesn't take into account the source of that poor air quality. So as of now, we can't say if one. Um, sort of poor air quality event and the source of that poor air quality is worse than another. All right. Anything that so you would... I think we need to take the same precautions in all types of events. Just as hazardous. <laughs> okay. Anything <Yes>. that <laughs> anything that you would like to add that maybe I have failed to ask you? Um uh well, I am relieved to say I'm actually currently in New Jersey, northern New Jersey, oh. <laughs> and not in Utah right now. And am relieved to say that our, the air quality out here has improved uh, greatly since I think you passed through and since last week when it was really poor. Uh, and everyone here is very relieved. And that is because of cha- you know, the, the jet stream, shifting winds, and where those that air uh, the air quality, the movement of those of that poor air quality. So it's not to say it won't return, but now, right now, it uh, is elsewhere. And, and I think looking at maps of air quality right now, uh, Canada continues to experience some, some very poor air quality as well as the upper Midwest. So it's just in stay, staying aware and, and knowing what's going on with you locally. Um, and the other, other thing I would mention is that there are many resources out there. Uh, the not only are there formal sensors uh, and networks that track our poor air quality, but there's also community networks such as Purple Air um, that's where people at their homes track air quality that goes and gets uploaded into a website and network. And so if people are really interested in trying to see what might be happening in their neighborhood, that's a good source, um, especially when there's a high density of those types of home sensors then, you know, each individual one, there's potential little risk of error, but combined, one can, can see what the, their community is experiencing at the moment, at the time. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, enjoy your summer break. <laughs> Thank you. You too. With me today has been Amanda Bacon, who is an associate professor of psychiatry at the University of Utah.
Thank you for listening to Let's Get Moving this week. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Instagram and Facebook so you can stay updated on all of our episodes. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.